So with that said, why don't you open your Bibles to John chapter 14, and we will read together from verse 1 to verse 14. So John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do greater things than this, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son." You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Hello. How are we? Can you hear me? Yes. Hello. Guys, welcome. Morning. How are you feeling? Great. Good. Yeah. So I can't really see you, so I can't tell if you're feeling good, if you're not feeling good. Um, Guys, welcome. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm also part of the Dulwich Hill GC. Uh, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. You never know if your GC is going to shout out. They're serving or... So the anxiety is lifted from my soul right now. Um, before we get stuck into it, I just want to give another extra welcome on top of um, the great one Bree just gave. If you're new here, we, we don't take it lightly that you've come to our church to visit. Um, for many of you, it's it's hard, maybe you haven't been to church for a long time, and it's, it's a big step to come to a church, or maybe this is your first time ever coming to church. So thank you so much for coming along. Um, I want to extend an invitation to you guys. Next Sunday morning at, I'm going to say 8.45, it's only 8.30, we're pushing it back this week or next week. Um, I'm running Growth Track, and that will be down in the courtyard in the factory, so it's just down there, 8.45. And Growth Track is for all the people who are, who are new or newish to Anchor Church. Maybe you've come along for the last little while, um, or maybe this is your first time today, you're invited to come on to Growth Track. It, it's for those of us who were curious about joining. It's, you don't come along and it's like, I'm signing over to be part of this church family. It's, hey, I'm interested. I'm curious what the next steps could look like. Let me come along and hear more about our vision, who we are, our story, some of our key values and, and convictions as a church family. Um, so that's you. Please come say hello to me after. And I'll get you plugged in, or you can fill in the Connect card or the Next Step card that, that Bree mentioned. If you s- fill that out, they'll go directly to me. There's a little secret for you. I get the emails to those cards. Um, so I'll sort it out for you. So Grow Track next week, 8.45. Anyway, that's nothing to do with John 14. I'm going to pray, 
I'm going to see what God has for us today. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. Father, I think that your word's living and active, that we can hear a passage like this one, maybe one that we've heard a lot of times before, and that you still use it by your spirit to shape us to be more like Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us here today. We, you know the weeks we've had. You know what we're coming in with. Father, give us ears to hear and, and hearts to be shaped by your word today. Father, we pray as we look at this profoundly bold statement by Jesus, this claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we pray that you open our eyes, maybe for the first time, or remind our hearts of this truth, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this for your glory and for your fame. And everyone said? Amen. Well, as many of you know, we recently moved into our office space, um, massive answer to prayer, something we've been praying for for a long time, and it's in Balmain, yeah, so you can give a shout out to that, that's, we've been praying for that, so that's a good thing, um, which is, it's a home for us as a staff team, and for you guys over the next little season, and it's the best, right, like we've gone from working from home to being with our, like, we're friends, we're family, like we, we actually enjoy being together, so it's been, it's, it's been great actually having an office where we can we have to do a Zoom call or a Slack thread. We can actually just ask each other questions in person. Um, so it's been great in that way. But over the past couple of months that we've been there, I have this kind of, this routine that I do every afternoon when I'm like, okay, I need to go home. It's, it's, it's time to head home. Let me get my phone out, Google Maps out. And let me see what the best way is to get home. And like, it's a classic, like you, you get the map out and it has like the words that you hate where it says tolls. And you're like, oh, geez, like why? And the thing for me is, I live on the other side of Sydney from the office, or like halfway across the city, and like it's like a, it's like a, a 20 minute difference between toll roads and non-toll roads. It's either go through the inner west, which is like chaotic, and there's like 40,000 stop, like stop signs and traffic lights, or you, know, you just go into the city. You just get that little, it's like, a, it's like Mario Kart, you find a little secret tunnel that you go across, and you get it, I don't know what it is. So I put it, I'm like, I do my head, I'm like, oh, I do the math. I'm like, is it worth the almost $7? Which is, I don't know if you've thought about this before. It's, I have to pay like $7 to use, it's like 100 meters of tar. For, for some reason, that costs $7. I, I know for a fact that they've paid that road, like that road off. The maintenance company, anyway. It's, <laughs> it gets to me. But like, the thing is, like, on the way to work, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll leave a bit early. I'll, I'll get there. I'll take the extra hour. But when I want to get home, I ask me to get home. Like, maybe you feel the same. Maybe it's, you're on the train, coming home from work, and you're just like, I've had a big day. Like, I just want to get home. I just want to get to the place where I can just relax and kick my shoes off, have a shower, eat my comfort food, get in my trackies. Like, we missed church. Like, we missed, sorry, work from home because you lived in that. But, like, we just want to get home. And, like, it's the same. Like, I don't know if you've ever had it when you, when you go overseas or you come back from a long road trip, and like you kind of, you start flying over Australia, or you start coming to Sydney, and like that thing kicks over in your head, you're like, I'm home. I just want to get there, I'm over this trip, let me just get home, let me just get to the place where I can just be at rest, and just, just be relaxed. Like our hearts long for home, they, they long for a place where we're comfortable, 
where we're satisfied. Like it's, it's more than a, a, a material thing. It's, it's an existential thing that our hearts long for. We, we chase after the world, trying to fill our hearts, trying to find the satisfaction. Like whether it's we chase after money or success or reputation or social clout or sex or, or fame or glory or whatever it looks like. Like we chase after these things thinking, if I get this, then I'll feel satisfied. Then I'll feel comfortable. Then my, then my heart will be that place where I can just rest. But we find out very quickly that those, those things don't do that for us. Like you get home and you don't have that rest that you think you're going to have. C.S. Lewis, he's getting shout-outs today. I'm, I'm quoting him again. You can't go wrong. If you're preaching a sermon... If you want to have a successful sermon, you preach C.S. Lewis, and the Holy Spirit works. But he says this idea, where he kind of sums up this, this idea of home for the heart, this place that we long for. And he says this, he says, If we ever find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we we're made for another world. I'll just read that again. He said, If we ever find ourselves with a, a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation that we were made for another world. This is Lewis's argument. He says, if, if money, if power, if success, or sex, or property, or relationships, if, not, if none of that satisfies us, if it doesn't give our, our hearts a place where they feel at rest, then maybe we're designed for something far greater than those things. Maybe those aren't the things that we're called to be chasing after the car that you always wanted, or the job, or the relationship, or the holiday, the item of clothing, like whatever it is for you. Maybe you've been at work, and you're just, you're just stuck in traffic, and you just think, there has to be more than life to this. Like maybe you're sitting behind the desk, or the kids are just going nuts, and just like doing what they do, and you think, this, this can't be it. There has to be, there has to be something greater out there. All of us, and I know this for a fact, that all of us will get to the point, if you haven't already, where you'll come to, the, like, you'll come to that question where you go, there has to be more to life than this. This can't be all there is. Like, this isn't the home that I'm meant to, to long for. That's what we see in this passage today. We see Jesus answer this question. He answers the question, how do I get home? How do I get to the place where my soul can be at rest? And so, like, what's the shortcut? What's the Mario Kart shortcut across Sydney? It's, it's, it's bigger than that. How do I get to the place that my heart longs for? How do I find the place where my heart will, will be at rest, where I'll be fully satisfied? How do we know the way home? I'll see what Jesus means when he says that I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's what we'll be focusing on. That's kind of the centerpiece of this sermon, those, those verses. I won't as much tackle the last bit of the, the passage, but it kind of helps frame what Jesus means here. So just a bit of context to, to set the scene and give a little bit of picture of what's happening. The disciples are all in on Jesus at this point. Like they've bet their lives on Jesus. They've given up their, their jobs, they've given up their families, their friends, their dreams. Like they've given up everything. They believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And here they are, the night before Jesus was to be crucified. And Jesus saying to them, hey guys, I'm not going to be around much longer. 
I'll be going soon. And the disciples hear that and like, what do you mean? Like that, you know, their, their hearts start to feel the anxiety. Like we, we've, we've given everything. You're saying you're going? Like this is the moment of like, you're going to come in and be the triumphant king. You know, man, screw Rome and like, let's, like, power to the system, all that type of stuff. And here he's saying, he's like, guys, I'm going. And it's just dropping bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. And we see this in verse 1 to 4. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you to go, uh, that I would go and to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am going you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. There's a lot to unpack here, but first I just want to say, Jesus comforts their fear. He comforts their fear. And like what we see, we see this previously in verse 36, so like just before this passage, that Jesus is like, he's saying I'm going, and they're like, what do you mean you're going? Like I just said, like their, their hearts start to feel anxiety and fear. Because of thought, like the thought for them to be left, like of being left behind, it's real. Like I said earlier, like they, these guys are all in on Jesus at this point. They've bet everything. For the past three years, they've been following him. They gave up careers. They gave up everything. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm going. And the idea of being left behind, being left out, is real. It's in all of us, right? Like we all have this deep fear of being left behind or left out. When, when Bree read over, I, I get Bree to read over my sermons. Um, every now and then, just for the comfort of myself. But Bree's my wife, by the way. Not this Bree, another Bree. I always have to stipulate that. Um, and she said, like, she wrote a note saying, it's like when you got left behind at Franklin's by your mom. When I was a kid, I was at Westfield and my mom, God bless her, she's not here, which is good. She, she left me behind at Franklin's. And I was searching around, like, it's called Miranda. I was just looking, I was like, where's my mom? Like, this, this full, I'm left behind. She's never coming back. Like, all this, like, irrational fear starts coming into your head. And that's what just happens when you're a kid. Like, we feel that now. But there's this deep fear of, like, what do I get left out? What do I get left behind? It's, it's this primal instinct that we have. And, and Jesus is speaking into that for the disciples and for us today. He's speaking into the anxious hearts. And this is the thing that blew my mind in my prep this week. It's that, Jesus is speaking to their anxious hearts while he's anxious. Like, Jesus, this is a, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's going to the cross tomorrow to die this excruciatingly brutal death. We see it throughout the other gospel that he like, sweats blood. That's how stressed he is. And yet, and yet in that moment, he ministers and he speaks into the anxieties of his friends around him who he knows are about to betray him. Like that, that's, that's Jesus that we see on display here. That even at the lowest point of his life, he still takes the time to minister, love, and encourage his friends. And Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he, makes, and then he, he goes on to make a promise. He says, In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'd go and prepare a place for you? So here Jesus is he's promising, I'm not going to abandon you guys. Because God, he never abandons his people. 
But he's saying, I'm going to save you. I'm not going to abandon, I'm going to save. He's going to prepare a place for them. Or, or another word that we see in the language is, is, is a home for them. It's not a hotel. When, when you read this passage, it's easy to think, you know, posh hotel, five-star hotel, turn-down service, you know I mean? Like they close the blinds for you, they put new sheets on, they, they pull the sheet back perfectly, have a little chocolate on it. Those weird, like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, like the, 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 like the origami between towels. Have you seen that? Anyone? Yeah. Anyway, that's what we think. We think like turn-down service. He's going to repair a place for us. He's going to go, you know, renovate an apartment for us in heaven. It's so much more profound than that. Jesus is preparing a place for them by dying for them. By being lifted up on the cross and taking the sin of the world. And then through that in his resurrection, where he defeats sin and death henceforth and forevermore, he guarantees eternal life for them and for us. So when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's saying, I'm going to prepare eternal life for you, prepare a way for you to go home. It's the only way that heaven is open to people like you and us is, is that Jesus goes and prepares a place for us. And he says here, there's many rooms, which means no one's going to miss out if you put your trust in Jesus. It's not like, okay, like there's some religions where they're like, okay, there's only 144,000 rooms in heaven. You've got to kind of be the top of the top to, to be in that. And that's, Jesus is just blowing that straight out of the water. He's saying there's many rooms. There's room for everyone if you want to follow me. If you want to put your trust in me and what I've done for you on the cross. And it's crazy that Jesus is saying there's room for you, for me. Like you here today, that he's saying that there's room for you, that the God of the universe loves you. That he loves you so much and gives room for you. Not only that, but he says he's going to come back so that we can spend all eternity with him. That notice how personal it is. He goes, I'm coming back for you. You have to find it. I'm coming back for you. Like that. It's important to know that, that heaven is about a person before it's about a place. That, that heaven without Jesus, or the, the life to come, the new creation to come without Jesus, it, it's nothing. What makes the new creation so great and so amazing is that Jesus is there and that we'll literally see him face to face. We'll literally, it talks about like there won't be any need for a sun as in the sun in the sky because the glory of God will be so bright and so beautiful that we won't need it. And we'll be there face to face. And that's what makes heaven so good. It's not that like, there's a lot of good things about heaven. Crying, mourning, and pain doesn't exist anymore. But what makes it great is Jesus. Heaven is about a person before it's about a place. And God moved heaven and earth. He did all these things so that you could be with him forever and share an eternal life with him. Isn't that beautiful? That he did that for you? And then we see he goes on to respond to the disciples in verse 5. Oh, sorry, Thomas responds to Jesus. And you've got to love Thomas's honesty. He gets the raw end of the stick in the Bible, like doubting Thomas. But it's, not, it's a good question. He goes, because Jesus speaks in riddles sometimes. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Uh, Thomas, is, he's doubting the way, but I think Thomas's question can be boiled down to this. He's saying, Jesus... Where are you taking us? 
We've bet everything on you. We've given everything up to follow you. Can you get us home? Can you get us to that place where our souls will be at rest? And Jesus answers by making this simple but yet profound statement. He says this in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to do it for the next, the, the, our remaining time together. I just want to spend time breaking down this passage, this, this one verse, what it means that Jesus is the way, what does it mean that he is the truth, and what does it mean that he is the life. Um, so I'm going to start with the way. He says this, uh, that, he, that Jesus is the only way home, that he is the only way to the Father. There's no other way but Jesus. Think of it this way. Um, several years ago now, it feels like 2016, I was, I was two years into vocational ministry. And about a year and a half into church planting, we helped to plant a church in um, the Shire. And I came to this point where I hadn't realized I, had a hol- I hadn't had a holiday for a year, like any time off for a year. And like, I was noticing, I was just like getting cynical and like really bitter and all this type of stuff. And I realized I just hadn't rested. <laughs> like, and it's bad. That's, that's really unhealthy. I'm like, don't do that ever. Um, but it came to the point where my lead pastor came to me and he said, you need to take time off. So we're gonna, you're going to have annual leave. You're going to take two weeks off and... It's coming up for like two weeks. I was like, okay, I've got to do something. I can't stay. Because I lived with people I went to church with. And like I lived like four doors down from the church. So I was like, I need to get out of Dodge because it won't feel like a holiday. So I went to my dad and I said, let's go, let's go away. He goes, let's go to New Zealand. So in two weeks, we booked a trip over to New Zealand. We hired a van, traveled around the South Islands. We got everything prepped. Like we booked the van, booked the, like, the camping sites, kind of mapped out all the different Lord of the Rings. I've mentioned Lord of the Rings three times in a row. That's three past sermons. But we went to Lord of the Rings filming sites, so I'll be honest with you. Um, so we, we booked all that, got that all sorted, and it came like a week out, and then I realized I don't have a passport, right? I was like, my passport's expired. I, we haven't been overseas for a long time. And then I was like, can I just go there and like wing it or something? I'm just like, I don't know, like can I do a photocopy, like a fake ID when I was younger? Um, just confess to you guys. But I, so what I had to do was I had to like, I was like, do I have to drive down to Canberra and like go to the consulate myself and just sort it out? Anyway, we paid money and we got it done quicker, um, legally. And I went to, it sounds like I was doing something dodgy when I started paying money. Um, and, we got, and I went to the city, got the passport. It was all good, like three days to spare. But I couldn't go without that passport. It doesn't matter who I was. It didn't matter what achievements I've done in life. It didn't matter, you know what I mean, how much money I was willing to pay or trying to sweet-talk the person at the customs desk. If I got to that desk and I handed the ticket over and they go, can we please have your passport? And I said, I don't have that passport. They would say, tough luck. It's, it's the thing you need. You can't go without the passport. And in many ways, Jesus is saying that, that he's the passport. He's the way. You, you can't go without Jesus. He's the only way to have eternal life. He's the only way we get home. It's not based on achievements or relationship status or your net worth or your assets or your crypto wallet or your, your Instagram like ratio. It doesn't matter how healthy you are, how together you have your life. It's not based on performance. It's, it's purely based on Jesus. It's the only way home. It, he, he's the passport. He's, he's the only thing we need to get home. He's a bridge over the kind of the chasm. If you think of sin and death as this kind of separation, this, this chasm between us and home. 
here's the bridge to get home. That's what he means when he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. I've gone to make a bridge for you at home. It's not a five-star hotel with the kind of room, like the turn-down service I mentioned earlier, but he, he prepares a place where our souls can find rest and eternal life with him. So Jesus is the way, but he doesn't stop there. He says that he's the truth. And to say that he is the, the truth in 2022, right? For Jesus made the claim that I'm the only way, I'm the only truth. In our day and age, that is insane. Maybe you're here and you hear that and you get a little bit uncomfortable. Really, Jesus? You're the only way? Like even those who are kind of, those of us here who might be kind of anti-religion, oh, sorry, those of us who aren't anti-religion, it's a common belief that the different kind of mainstream religions kind of all lead to the same thing. You guys ever heard that? You know what I mean? Like all the different mainstream religions all have good things, and they kind of all point to the same thing eventually, and it's just for us to kind of find our own path there, and we'll get there eventually. It actually comes from a popular Buddhist parable from 500 BC of the blind man and the elephant. Um, most of us might be familiar with that. The parable is that a king invites a group of men over to his palace, and he kind of leads them through the palace into the courtyard, blindfolded, so they can't see anything. And in the courtyard is an elephant. And he says to these men, he goes... Feel what's in front of you and describe to us or to me what you see or what you feel. And the story goes that like one man touched the elephant's leg and he's like, oh, it's a tree stump. Or one man touched the side of the elephant and he's like, oh, it's, a, it's like a wall. Um, another one touched a task and it was a spear or one touched the, the tail and it was a rope. And so it goes on and on and on. And the point of the parable is that, that everyone has a part of the truth. We all kind of feel our way and kind of feel our own truth and we kind of get to that point. Um, but no one kind of knows the full truth. Like no one can claim that they have the, the full picture of the elephant. And over the centuries, this parable has been used to describe religion, where the, the elephant is a metaphor for God and the various blind men represent the different religions that, that disagree on some stuff, but no one has fully experienced God. Like we all have parts of the picture of who God is, and what is life, but, but no one can claim to have the full picture. And that's what makes what Jesus is saying so scandalous, so provocative. Because what Jesus is saying, he's not saying you have the full picture, he's saying I am the full picture. He's saying I am God. I, I am the one you're looking for. I am the one who created the universe and everything in it. Jesus says, I'm the truth. He's, he's not saying that he is a truth. Or he's not saying that he is a way. He's saying that I am the truth. I am the way. Jesus is saying that if you, if you want to know God, if you want to know the Father, you want to get a full picture of what God's like, look no further than Jesus. He is God. Paul, Paul talks about this in one Colossians, uh, Colossians 1, um, verse 15. It'll be on the screen. Just let it read it out. Just, just let it sink in. Just let the words that are being said just sink in. So it's saying, Paul says this about Jesus. He goes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For, uh, sorry, for in, all, sorry, in Him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are being created through Him and for Him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was so pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. It's, it's what one commentator I read this week called Jesus being God's gracious self-disclosure of himself to us. It's, it's, Jesus, it's in Jesus that we get the kind of full picture, the full complete picture of who God is. Like we, don't, we don't have to guess, we don't have to search. Like Jesus isn't kind of the trunk on the elephant, we have to go around all the other pieces. Like Jesus is a whole thing. He is everything. And that's why we hear Jesus' response to Philip saying in verse 8, a bit later on the passage where he says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, I am the Father. I am the Father and the Father is me. Like Jesus is saying, if you want to know the Father, look no further. If you want to know what God's really like, don't look further. It's in Jesus that we see the beauty and the glory and the scandalous grace and the mercy of God. We see the mercy and grace that Jesus extends to the woman at the well who's in an adulterous relationship and he meets her where, at, where she's at and just speaks the words of grace and truth over her life. We see it, Jesus spending time with um, the tax collector, like the men who are kind of ripping off their fellow countrymen, using their money to fuel corruption. And what, what does he do? He spends time with them. He, he goes to their homes and has a meal. He eats with them. He invites them to be part of his inner circle. Like in Jesus, we, we see this God of, of mercy and grace. And finally, we see Jesus is the life. Like Jesus is saying here that the, the deliverance that he's, he's bringing isn't this kind of political or, or social deliverance that the disciples were expecting at the time, but it's a spiritual and physical deliverance. As followers of Jesus, we, we not to think, kind of, okay, great, I'm saved now, now just wait to the future. Now it's all about when Jesus comes back, or the new creation, I'm just waiting for heaven. Because what Jesus says, when he says, sorry, that he's, he's speaking about life, yes, he's talking about the life to come, but he's also speaking about the space in between. He's speaking about now. When Jesus says, I am the life, he's talking about a present thing, not just a future thing. I remember when I was first checking out Christianity, um, it was at, I became a Christian towards the end of high school, and I went to a school where early high school, year 7 to year 10, you had to do biblical studies. You actually just had to do it, right? Uh, so I saw it as like a bludge lesson, you know what I mean? Like I had a laptop, like most of us did at school at the time, so I'd, I'd watch Friday Night Lights instead of listening to biblical studies. Great show, by the way. Um, but I remember hearing some of the stuff, thinking, like, Christianity is really restrictive. I was like, hearing all these, like, the, you go through the Ten Commandments and, like, the, the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus says, do this, don't do this. And I was like, wow, like, Christianity is super restrictive. I had some merit to it. Maybe, but I was like, maybe one day. Like, when I've, you know I mean, when I've done the things I want to do, you know, live a life that I want to live, partying and all that type of stuff, maybe then one day, I'll become a Christian when I want to kind of like restrict my life. That was something I really, really thought. But two things changed for me. 
the first thing was kind of unrelated. Like one of my, one of my dearest friends died like suddenly in an accident, like overnight. Just was there one minute, gone the next. So I realised, hey, I might not have forever. <laughs> like I thought, when I'm older, I might not have when I'm older. But the big thing for me that changed, and the second thing is, the Spirit began to open my eyes to the fact that all the commandments, all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots in the Bible, are actually leading us to the deepest life possible. They're there for our flourishing. That, that God is leading us to live a life as He intended it to be fully lived and fully enjoyed for His glory. Like it was, it was through seeing friends of mine. There was a couple of guys in my year who were Christians, super, like super normal guys, a bit grubby, imperfectly tried to follow Jesus. They were honest about their struggles. I saw one of my good friends, like his sister got meningococcal, and thankfully she survived, but there was a week where it didn't look like she would. And I saw just his, his hope and just him not be shaken by it. Like, of course, he was terrified. But he just had this do not let your heart be troubled type attitude. And I was like, what is There's something to this. That impacted his life there. How they care for one another. Matt mentioned this last week, the Christian community. Like how they care for one another, how they loved one another. How they encouraged one another. I was in a group where, like, it was all about tearing, we loved each other, but it was all about tearing each other down. We were all about building each other up. I was like, this is wild. Like, like, the gospel, the, the way of Jesus, it was affecting their life there and then. And I saw that, I was like, this is actually the better way to live. They modeled to me what it was like to have life and life to the full. To have a future hope. Not, it wasn't about gaining material things and blessings in this life, but having an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. Like, we can have that now. That's something that we live out now. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about life and life to the full. It's following him. It's actually the better way to live. A sociologist say this. Like they, I read something in the New York Times not, not too long ago where it talks about people should really just set a day aside of rest a week where they do nothing and just chill out and relax. And I hear that, I'm like, mm, I've heard that somewhere previously, right? Or like that sex is better in a monogamous relationship where you commit to one another. You're like, hmm, I've, I've heard that before somewhere. The, you know what I mean? I've heard that before somewhere. Like this, it's actually the better way to live. Like pra- practicing the way of Jesus, following Jesus, giving our lives to Jesus. It's just better. And when he says, I've come to give you life and life to the full, he's, he's talking about life, like living a life of obedience to God and, and seeing him become more and more like Jesus. It's designed for human flourishing. That's where we best flourish in this world. That's what he says in John 10, 10, when he says, come to give you life, life to the full. He's not talking about the, the future life. Well, he's talking about that as well, but he's also talking about now. It's life and life to the full now. Following the way of Jesus is, gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. To follow Jesus, it, it, it's stepping into the, what we're designed to do. We're in rhythm with how God designs humans, humanity, us personally. And Jesus is inviting us into that life. He's inviting us home. And we see that in the last part of the verse where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Like, notice it doesn't say, there's a few that come to the Father except through me. Notice it doesn't say, hey, the, the rich or the poor. It doesn't say the nameless or the famous. It doesn't say you know, the, the popular or the outcast. It, it simply says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't say living a moral, upright life. It doesn't say good deeds will get you home. It doesn't say having social clout um, won't get you home. It doesn't say about being married. It doesn't say owning property on the city property market or traveling the world. It doesn't say intellectual assent to the right theology will get you home. Right? You can know a lot about Jesus. You can, you can know the right things to say, listen to the right podcasts or read the right books. There's no, there's no real personal relationship. That's what, like, when intellectual ascent, it, do, it doesn't get us home. And we see here in this passage that, that no one gets home. That no one gets to that place where they can be with Jesus. That place where they can have complete rest and satisfaction and just the soul can just have that, just that breathe out moment. Except through Jesus. He's the only way. And we see here in this passage that, sorry, he's the only way that we can do that. And friends, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, this is not a pronouncement of judgment over half the world. This is an invitation to the world, to us here today, to come home, to come to him. And maybe you hear say, and you've been following Jesus for a while, and COVID is just disruptive. You've got out of rhythms. You haven't feel like I'm, I'm not practicing the way of Jesus like I used to, or I'm not feeling as close to Jesus as I once did. But this passage is an invitation to come home, to, to lean in once more, to lean into what He's doing. Maybe he'd say, you just feel like your faith has been on cruise control. You're just going through the motions. This is an invitation to us to, to continue to, to practice the way of Jesus. It's a, it's, it's a reminder for our, of us to, to remember our first love. And maybe you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Like maybe you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time and you have a lot of questions. A lot of stuff's not making sense. But you, you, you feel the Spirit just open your eyes and soften your heart. And maybe something started to click. Maybe something about who Jesus was or what He came to do. Maybe that He's the only way home. And, and if that's you here today, Know that Jesus is, is inviting you personally to come to him, to come home, like not, not to wait, not to delay. That, that eternal life and life to the full is on offer to you today for free. And it might sound too good to be true because it is. Okay, it's, it's nuts. Like, it's not too good to be true in that way, but like, it's, it's, it's crazy that we don't have to do anything. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do the right things or be the right person. We just got to 
surrender our lives to Jesus and take his offer and his invitation to follow him. I'm going to finish by just reading a quote to you guys by one of my ancient friends. I wish I knew him in real life. His name's Thomas Akempis. Um, he's, he's a Catholic mystic. And he, he talks about what, who Jesus is. He kind of sums up this part. I could have just read this quote, to be honest, and the same would have been done. But he said this 1,400 years ago. I think it perfectly sums up what we just heard. He says this. He says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the unending life. I am the way that is straight, the supreme truth, the life that is true, the blessed, the uncreated life. If you abide in my way, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free and you shall obtain life everlasting.